passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Did somebody say playoffs? The NBA, MLB, and then NHL are in full swing and our partners have been online and got you covered. Are you a betting man, Derek? Sports betting? No, I am not. I'm not stupid. Betting sports is my favorite thing ever. And I think this year, the Lakers are a lock, a absolute lock to take out the title. LeBron James, fine form, et cetera, et cetera. But I'll be honest, I've never once won a bet. So take advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Get me there. Yeah, again, that's betonline. .ag, welcome Antigua, Antigua listeners, and sign up today. BetOnline.ag, sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I'm Derek Riley. I'm with Charlie Smith, and welcome to Dirty Water, an immense grotto where wild unicorns rut, and where energy like a wallop and suck orgy is the order of the day. Today's guest is a South African movie director of much renown, a ram who wanders the ridges of Hollywood before galloping back to surfing as a prophet of cinema. He is the king of straight-to-DVD films, including two thrillers of Steven Seagal, both shot in Eastern Europe, and the vampire schlock film The Traveller, made in Canada, with the once very famous Val Kilmer. More to our purposes, he created the two greatest surf documentaries the world has never seen, Sea of Darkness and Sonny Garcia, Death and Taxes. He also made the Nathan Fletcher film Heavy Water. Our guest, Mr. Michael Oblovitz. Eric, you're there. You four-eyed motherfucker. Four-eyed motherfucker. Let me see if I can get this. Uh, how's that? I've got my steering wheel in the car. That's perfect. What is that? The Proud Boys uh, flag behind you there? Are you like, you know? Like, yeah. It's blue. It's Blue Lives Matter. <laughs> Two white supremacist flag. <laughs> I got my pump, dog. What does that say? It says pray for surf. Pray for surf. Oh, okay. It looks like it looks like it looks like a kind of weird Trumpian version of a white supremacist flag, but I guess it's a painting, right? It's a painting by but it's a painting by the great Paul McNeil, one of Australia's great artists. It's fucking awesome. With this good Living stuff, legend. It's like a US flag thing. But because it's all cut up the text, you can't actually see what it is. So it has that kind of I don't know. I, I don't know what I guess it's the red and the black. And the white that makes me think of white supremacist graffiti. I don't know why. <laughs> because because the Nazis, the Nazis employed red, black, and white to great effect. They did indeed. They they really did. And uh, you know, with 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 red, white, and blue, America is just a pale, a pale imitation. <laughs> <laughs> 
but we're trying very hard. I'm telling you, we're trying very hard. We're 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 working. We're working our way up the uh, the, the 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 fascist, totalitarian, anti-democratic ladder. As quickly, you, as, quick, as quickly as we can find a left-wing scapegoat. Did you uh, did you watch the debates last night? Uh, well, first of all, I think we don't want to misuse the word debate in that context. Um, I, I did watch some of it. Uh, you know, are, are you down, are you in Orange County, Chaz? I'm I'm in San Diego County now. San Diego, right? Yeah, because so so the, I don't know because we the surf was firing last night, so I was kind of more concerned with surfing till dark. But I did catch a bit of it on my. You know, it, it was it seemed like an endless. Uh, show so because by the time I got home it was still going on I, I heard a bit of it on the radio I saw a bit of it on television I think I saw more than enough of it you know it was like really really embarrassing and um, uh, you know I, I, you know I, listen obviously I want Biden to win this election um, I think you know Trump is, is, is just a brutalist I mean he's just He's not a human being. I don't know what this guy is, but you know, um, but but he should not be allowed to have any kind of forum whatsoever. Um, on the other hand, I didn't think that um, that Biden was effective in any way, shape, or form in terms of how he could have dealt with uh, what he was being handed by Trump. I mean, the, the fact that this guy's only paid seven hundred and fifty dollars taxes a year for the last two years. That in itself, not notwithstanding not the other 15 years, but the fact that he's only paid $750 in taxes a year why, since he's been president and has consistently refused to uh, show his taxes is so impeachable in my book and should have been, it should have been a point to my mind that Biden kept coming back with, with absolute clarity and, and forthrightness. And the problem with Biden is, I don't know if he has a speech. I mean, he does have some kind of speech defect. Wasn't he a stutterer when he was young? I think he right? did. Yeah. I think he did struggle like the king of England. Uh, I think he struggled through his stutters. Which was, yeah, the, so, king, so, which was the king? Oh, uh, king, king George V, I think. George, that's what it was. George V. Yeah, so he's done, a, he's done a pretty good job, I guess, of overcoming his stutter. But it's still... It's why, you know, Trump, who's just a disgusting human being and mocks everybody for whatever impediment they have, uh, just because he's an aggressive bully. Um, that's why he calls him a sleepy Joe or whatever, because he's Biden's obviously struggling with his impediment. Right. Um, but that that doesn't make him effective in a universe where a bully is being so lauded and appreciated. I mean, it's not like Trump doesn't have whatever, 40 million people supporting him. So this is a real crisis of, of democracy that we have because 40 million people is a hell of a lot of people. It's probably about as many people as supported Hitler in Germany, right? What was the population of, of Germany and Austria in 1939? Does anybody know? Hey, Michael, do you ever get tired of the Hitler comparisons? No, it's a very easy mark, isn't it? Tell me, come, come you, on. It is. Hold on, stop! No, 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 no. It's a very easy mark when, uh, if any of you have read Mein Kampf and understand um, Goebbels' theories of propaganda that Hitler utilized, that they're identical. This is not a a stretch. I don't and think it's a stretch. But is there, is there any propaganda coming from the left? 
I don't, well, I don't think, I think to characterize um, Black Lives Matter as the left is such a stretch, right? We have to really understand American politics. There isn't really a functioning left in this country. This country is so right-wing in comparison to the South Africa, the left that we had in South Africa, the functioning left, which was the African National Congress, or the functioning left in England, which is the Labour Party, which are which is really left. They're socialists, or in Denmark. I mean, the left here is is just basically liberals. I mean, they're basically, uh, you know, us, they're, they're basically looking for a common democratic. It's not like democratic socialism is the left. Nobody's asking for for uh, uh, in any. There's no effective left uh, that that that's 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 positing single payer healthcare. Or, 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 or the kind of um, dole that you have in Australia. Australia is far more left-wing than South Africa. I mean, than, uh, than America. There's nothing close. Australia is a socialist country in terms of the characterization of socialism in America. So I think there is no left. There's no effective left. So your terminology is already cauterized right there. Anything else you'd like to say? Uh, <laughs> I think saying the terminology is cauterized is... Um, is it's like cauterized. A, it's, like, now, it's like calling I wish it, that I could have... Honestly, Derek, I wish I could Michael, have... Michael, 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 Michael. Yes, sir. Have you, have, you had a little, um, have you had a little spoonful up your beak, have you? Can I set you up? I haven't had any spoonfuls. I just come out the fucking water, dude. It's like <laughs> I had a fight. I, I will tell you this, though. I fucking swung my surfboard at some kook. Dude, it was like Topanga is, you know, my local, you know, since 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 Diana and I moved out of Venice, you know, we bought a place in Sherman Oaks, right? Because we wanted a bigger place. And so we, um, Topanga is like 15 minutes from where I live. It's right near. So this is where I surf most of the time. And it was really firing today. And we've got this new onslaught of, of, of kooks on these soft top boards, which, you know, I... I I first saw them at your beach, Bondi Beach, is where they seem to have originated, Derek. That's where that's where the soft top originated, Derek. At Bondi, pretty much. pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. About I think about the first time I saw them was about ten years ago at Bondi. You remember when they had that ban at Bondi when you couldn't surf in the summer and that right? And they started bringing out those short soft tops and long soft tops and going yeah. So the so the north half of the beach was um, from October to March is um, soft tops only. So yeah, so I hold Derek entirely responsible. I'm totally responsible. <laughs> but I think I don't think you can ever get mad at a person on a soft top because they can't do any harm. Well, dude, I, you know, Topanga's a tight little wave, and you know, I'm screaming along on my big ass green mamba there from 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 uh, Gunter, and I'm going screaming across his grave, and suddenly this guy just drops in on me and goes straight on a right point break. I mean, that's a lot of harm. As far yeah. as I'm concerned, you fucking silk, Michael. Jesus. Yeah, but I smacked him on my board. You know, I went, this, flying, I went flying. Plus, he was a six foot three brute. And I went flying right across him and hit him with my board. And then he started shouting at me. He said, I snaked him. Well, that set me off. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the mood I'm in, right? Then we got into a little bit of aggressiveness. And then you know, seeing he was so much taller than me, I thought it was okay to take a swipe at him with my board. So I went whack. And then he came chasing after me. And then I questioned his manhood in front of all these hot young girl surfers from Kauai. I asked him if he was wearing a G-string or panties under his wetsuit. 
and uh, you know, in, in, in what functions he performed in the prison cell for his for his you know his cellmate because would he like to perform those functions on me in front of everybody because I think he looked like he was ready we went in that direction so I think he was suitably humiliated did you, did you use some non-PC words huh did you use some non-PC words not totally non-PC I think I was metaphorical I think I reckon in the heat of the moment you called him a faggot didn't you no, 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 no. I, re- I, I mean, I could have, but I was more concerned with his, um, what his underwear choice was under his wetsuit. I mean, I was kind of, he seemed to have a kind of kinky bent. I mean, the fact that I know everybody in Topanga, and I've served you for about 25 years, and he obviously fucked up my wave. And, you know, there's a lot of people out here. So it's not like everybody gets a wave every fucking five minutes. You know, it's like, a, you know, you get, you take your turn, you wait, you don't drop in on the boys and you'll get a wave. So that's what he did. Why didn't so, you get around him? Huh? Why didn't you turn around him? Why didn't you veer around him? Veer around him, dude. He was like on a 12-foot soft top. He's about six foot three and going straight, kind of going maybe 20 degrees left on a right point break. There was yeah, no veer. You see someone down the line paddling, you kind of go, cool, I'm going to take a high line, I'm going to go around him, I'm going to go bottom turn around him. Yeah, well, Derek, oh, you're the, a better The high line move is so sweet there. It looks good. Uh, Derek, Derek's a much better surfer than me. I just like to go through the pits you know and suddenly there was an obstacle in my way so the obstacle got, felt the full bulk of the oblivitian uh <laughs> weight full weight smack him really hard you know and, was, and after, were there any like, famous people out there uh i think i was the most famous person out there i don't know i mean donnie wilson donnie wilson is a great local surfer from back in the day a uh, really cool, local Venice and uh, and uh, um, and Santa and Topanga surfer. He was a pro in the eighties. He's a really good surfer. I think he was uh, on the on the tour with uh, was it around the Vinnie Klein era, maybe maybe a bit before that. You know, but one of those guys. You definitely don't want to fuck with Donnie Wilson. <laughs> hey, so Michael, why, why didn't the guy why didn't the guy beat hell out of you? If he's six foot three. Sorry, say that what again. Is, what did the guy beat hell out of you after? If someone if someone swipes you, oh, he was ready to. Oh no, he was like it was definitely a, an aggressive moment. That's why I sw- smacked him with my board, and then, but I paddled pretty fast for an old man, so I got back out there before he could. You know, he wasn't obviously very adept at what he was doing. So by the time he got to me, is when I launched into um, the conversation on what he was wearing under his wetsuit. In front of the girls who happened to be a couple of kawaii um, bikini designers called Jacks and Camille. Jacks and Cammy, Cammy and Jacks, I should give them a plug. They really surf well. These two very pretty girls from, from uh, Kauai, and they rippers. And so I thought if I insult this man in front of these two beautiful girls who surf well and discuss his. You know, his, his, his clothing choices under his wetsuit, he would be suitably humiliated before the rest of the boys ordered him out the water, which is what they did. You know, I don't think anybody took kindly to being dropped in on by a kook. Even when I was young in Cape Town, you could end up, you know, with a 
you know, I definitely got a few cracks and had a few surfboards in my head with blood. You know, here's a scar. That's a surfboard in my eye, um, you know, from a longboard. See that? That's from about 1965. Yeah, here to your right a little bit. You sort of went out of camera view there. You want me to do it like really close? You know, look, Colin, here's, here's my scar. You see that oh, that's scar? That's a good one. That's, that's a good one. So that that's like, uh, that was from a guy called Jerry Wilson, who was an early an early supporter of fascism in, in South Africa back in the day. You know, a, a good guy. We were very good friends. But he was, you know, an early adherent of, um, of the racial policies of South Africa. And, you know, I was from the, uh, the Semitic side of uh, the street. Um, and one day Jerry just launched his nine foot six board into my head. Because you're as, a Jew. As they, as they did in 1966 or whatever in Cape Town. Because you're a Jew. I think so. You know I, I mean, my nose, my nose didn't look big enough, so I think he was trying to <laughs> smack it with the board, but definitely... Maybe, maybe just threw your cock. No, no, the cock I reserved for the guy today. He got the full cock. Uh, you know, I was, I was inviting him to, to uh, enjoy the, the, the instrument, you know, but anyway, the girls thought it was pretty funny, so good luck on them, and, and uh, you should look for um, Jackson Cammy's bikini line maybe put it on beach grid because they witnessed the whole thing maybe they'll you know give you a different perspective on it did i lose you nope you're here oh, no, no. anyway here's, here's my board look all wet see i kid you not what, what are you That's in there are you in a bronco i'm in a fucking legendary oj bronco i have a i have a, a 1995 bronco with um 450,000 miles on it oh nice it's an old, I've had it since day one. And that's my one car. And then nice. I have a, then I also have a 911 GTS, of course. <laughs> because I'm a democratic socialist. And what would a, what would a socialist drive but a 911 GTS, you know? That's like, true. And live in Venice Beach and surf Topanga, huh? Uh, sorry, what did you say? Dude, Derek, you, your, 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 your accent is your strine. I don't kind of my accent, uh, fucked up, bro. You sound like a like a bogan, brogan. What do you call him, bogan? <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? I didn't hear what you said. What did you say, so, Michael? You really are the classic socialist with the nine eleven. He lives in Venice and says Tonga. I have red leather uh, trimmings in my in my and and red carbon. I have a red carbon fiber uh, tail on the back and a red carbon fiber arrow kit on my 9-11. So that's my true socialist leanings are shown there Very in that nice. choice of color. And my Bronco is red as well, FYI. Nice. I see the red trimmings. Yeah, you can see the trimmings, yeah. Okay. So did you hey, surf today, Chaz? Did you get away? I, I did. I got barreled today. I got a oh, full sneaky, sneaky barrel in San Diego. Where, where at? Which, at uh, Black's? No, just at, uh, it was a micro barrel um, out at uh, Pipes. Yeah, that's what we surf here in, in Topanga, micro barrels. Yeah, it was good, though. I mean, I was standing up, and it was an accidental barrel. I just knifed in and then got tubed and then thought, oh, well, that hold was on, unexpected. Hold on, hold on. You, you got a, <laughs> a stand-up barrel? I did. I mean, I was probably hunting cheap, but in my mind, I was standing up. Yeah, yeah, no, because what I do is I, like, kneel. As I take off, I kneel at an angle, 
and I sort of slide my one leg up just a little bit and I grab the rail and I, and I feel like I'm pretty close to like Slater at uh, Padang Padang, you know, that kind of kneeling sure. thing where they kneel. And, and I, I do too. that all the, all the time. I, I, it's like, you know, in my head, I'm wondering, am I like a kneeboarder or am I, you know, dropping a knee and grabbing a rail in the barrel? And then I think of George Greeno and I think, hey, dude, there's something going on here. And I feel like I'm going fast enough to justify what I'm doing. And I'm, you know, like in, when you get to my age in the late sixties, you know, your knees are not as efficient as, so, so standing up, I, I actually am grateful to Kelly Slater for, um, for popularizing that, 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 that sort of kneeling, crouching in the barrel kind of thing. But because it, it, gave, it gave me a new lease on surfing. You know, I really had that suddenly, there was something I could imitate on a very small wave and still feel, you know, like, you know, the aerial thing, you know, you get into your 60s, you're fat. You know, what was that thing that Kelly said about um, Peter Schroff? A fat 60-year-old drug adult surfer? Didn't he say Sexually confused that? also. Sexually confused. You see, Peter should have been there today with me. He would have understood more about what undergarments this guy could have been wearing under rubber, you know, under his, you know, wits wits are essentially latex, right? There's some form of rubber. So, you know, I I think we could have used some of Peter's analysis of sexuality. I wouldn't call it sexual confusion. I would call it sexual... Liberation. um, Progression, sexual introspection. I mean, you know, Peter is a man who makes beautiful objects. And uh, why shouldn't he explore his sexuality? I mean, his boards are much more inventive and colorful and decorative than any of Slater's boards. Plus, Peter made them by himself. He didn't have to employ, like, thousands of Asians, right? I'm, I'm Team Peter. Yeah, I'm, I've always been Team Peter. He used to live up the road from me in Venice, uh, just one of the most incredible people that have ever graced surfing one of the most talented he to, to me peter is the underground version of jeff ho and yeah. jeff ho is like the underground version of dick brewer what do you think does that make sense eric i think peter schroff is, is, a, is a bit of an american Derek Hines sort of character like you know a um just does what he does does what he loves and and doesn't take anything too seriously. Just yeah, I think Derek is much more serious than Peter Schroff. Also, I yes, think Peter, Peter's art production, his shaping, his creation. I mean, it's not like Peter just walked on the scene at 68, sexually confused on drugs and decided to take a chainsaw to one of Kelly Slater's surfboards. I mean, Peter made some of the most iconic, beautiful boards of, of, of the 80s. I mean, they're... Didn't what's his name McCoy get that um, that uh, that checkered and Vans? Didn't they both get that checkered uh, patent on their boards from Peter? Wasn't he the first guy to do that? Well, he was, working, Echo, he was working for Echo Beach, so uh, he created a lot of that. A lot of that. Silver. Yeah. Hayden Cox too. I don't know. I don't know a man called Cox, but uh, I know Peter. Hey, Michael. Yeah. Let's talk about the Sunny Garcia movie, Death and Taxes. Oh, yeah, let's. 
Oh, that's all real. So, I mean, just so you know, we got, we were right there at the end of that movie. We, it, it was completely finished. And the idea was to bring it out after um, Nathan's movie, because Nathan's movie, we knew we had the big push of Red Bull. So it would open up a kind of floodgate of publicity that we could launch the Sunny thing on. And then Sonny goes and has an argument with this woman he's staying with. And the next thing I get a call, Sonny's uh, attempted suicide. And then I think I got a call from Chaz. What happened with Sonny? Did he OD? No, Sonny did not OD. Sonny was not doing drugs as far as I know. I've never actually never ever seen that Sonny do drugs. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen him drink a beer. But um, I have seen him get incredibly depressed. Like, like uh, the depths of depression that you have to, you could have to rise to the heights of Sonny, that Sonny did as a human being to know how low you could go in that depression. And um, so all of that is there in the movie. It's just, I've got to do, revise the third act, right? If a movie has three acts, right? We, Sonny's third act, just took a turn and um but um i'm, I'm working on it it's do definitely you have, do you have access to family and whatnot still i mean oh yeah yeah no, i'm very i've always been close with stone sonny's son and uh i have access to kyla his his daughter and um and that that part of the family the part of the family that doesn't have access to sonny which is all of his family actually except for his mother and father i have access to them I mean, there's definitely a dichotomy in the Sunny universe between the girlfriend who appeared in the last two years of his life and uh, who was um, extraordinarily wealthy. And she has basically precluded Sonny from seeing in as much as he can see in the state he's in, but it definitely precluded Sonny's son and daughter and grandchildren from seeing Sonny um, under, con you know, under conditions that she was dictating. I mean, I don't understand how someone who's only known a guy for two years in his life can suddenly dictate the conditions of his, uh, of, 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 of his family access after such a tragic incident. It's, it's just very difficult for me to understand. As it is for most of the extraordinary Hawaiian friends that I made through Sunny, especially in Makaha, people like Rusty Kialana and Brian and uh, Robbie Garcia and all the guys who are, you know, Jason Maggs, all the guys who are really close to Sonny over his whole life. Um, I'm not terribly happy about the situation as, as, <laughs> as, 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 as it's played out. I mean, you know, the, Nobody holds anybody responsible for Sonny attempting suicide. I mean, I think it was always on the cards with Sonny that that could happen. He's just um, a depressed man who didn't obviously get the right chemical solution to his depression or psychiatric solution. But I think it's the events after his, um, his attempted suicide that have alienated a lot of people in Sonny's close circle. And that's an issue that I have to deal with in completing the film because, you know, so, suddenly the film takes on a proportion that is 
you know, outside of the scale of the uh, average surfing movie. You know, you're dealing with issues of life and death that are different to, say, the issues of life and death I dealt with in Nason's movie uh, with, with, with Sion Malofsky, right? Where, you know, there was a kind of calculated risk situation and those guys knew what they were getting into going in there, right? And so responsibility is pretty much defined by the, uh, by the action of the person taking the risk. In Sonny's case, you have a post-action a post situation, right? Sonny took the risk. He took the action. He decided to try and kill himself. He was unsuccessful to some degree. And his fate is suddenly not in the hands of his blood relatives and his children. And, you know, so, so, so it poses a lot of real issues that, that have to be dealt with in terms of finishing the film. Uh, I mean, we, we screened the film for Sonny about a month or two before the suicide attempt. And he was really, really moved by the film uh, and emotionally impacted. I mean, he, you know, he said after, he was in tears and he said, wow, it's just so heavy to see my whole life up there. And no sooner did he express the emotional depth and effect that the film had on him, which for me is my measure of how effective a film is, is how emotional it makes the viewer, especially when the viewer is a subject of the film. As a, as, a, as a storyteller, how do you tell the third act? I mean, what do you do? Because the third act is sort of still in limbo, right? I mean, do you have hope that Sonny's going to ever come out of this? Uh, I don't no, think that I that's... don't think so. I don't... No, I mean, when it happened, and I think I told you this, Chaz, when we, when we spoke about it, the night, the night too often happened. So I met Sonny through a really close friend of mine, Dominique Purcell, the uh, Australian actor from Prison Break, right, who's also a surfer. Mm-hmm. And Dominique and I, Dominique also lives near Topanga. So, you know, we, he had seen um, Sea of Darkness at a screening at a film festival and we became friends. And we've been friends since then, a good 10 years, right? And uh, Dominique was very close to Sonny. And so he introduced me to Sonny. And, uh, and, Sonny's relationship with Dom, like his relationship with me, like his relationship with everybody, would go through ups and downs depending on how his, uh, his chemicals were shaking out. And those were not drug-induced chemicals. Those were his natural, his natural um, chemistry, right? His biochemistry was just distorted. He'd have, you know, and we addressed that in the movie, but not in a... I'm not trying to make a Andy Irons kind of self-help clinical movie you know I'm, I'm trying to make a movie that has a narrative about a human being at the center of a storm albeit of his potentially his own creation it's still interesting right you know Sonny was definitely the center of his own storm so he'd argue with Dom and me and we'd get we, we would have good times and bad times in our relationships it was expected um so when Dom called me and they told me what had happened with Sonny I'd I didn't want to go up there. I didn't want to see Sonny in that state. And I didn't think it was appropriate. I mean, you know, I'm like 
the Boswell to his Johnson, right? And I don't mean his Johnson in the sense that I was referring to the guy that dropped in on me as Johnson. I mean Samuel Johnson, right? In in the you know the the, the literary sense, right, Chaz? Yep. I hear you. The Boswell to his Johnson. Uh, I was. Um, so I didn't want to anything to intrude on my ostensive objectivity, right? I know full well what uh, asphyxia is going to do to someone. It doesn't take much to figure it out. And um, Dom went up there and he called me. He was there. And I guess Jason Maggs, a bunch of his friends were there. And Dom called me and he said, this is the most horrific scene you ever want to see. And you definitely are right. You don't want to come and see Sonny in this state. This is not Sonny. Right? Um, So... I have a very close friend who's a top cardiologist at Cedar sinai And Dom, everybody at that point was discussing life support, resuscitation, you know, all the things you could possibly do, ventilators, all, all these things that have now actually become common knowledge in ironically in the age of COVID, all of these life resuscitating procedures, all of which we know have a terribly devastating effect on the body in, in your attempt to arrest and resuscitate someone with a ventilator, you can end up destroying their vocal cords, their, their voice box there. I mean, there's, it's not a, it's certainly an instrument of last resort. So Dom seeing that asked me to get in touch with my um, cardiologist friend at Cedar sinai and get, and he would get a medical report from the doctor there because Dom's a celebrity, you know, he was able to kind of, transcend a little bit of the, the, uh, the, the restrictions that were being placed by the rich girlfriend at that point in time on access to information about Sonny. And he actually got the full description of Sonny's injuries from the doctor, which we then reported to Dr. Rico, my friend on the phone. And Rico came straight back and said, they should let him die right now. Um, because life support is not really going to bring him back. Um, and they want to, if they want to have him live on, they should have his, limb, his, his, his um, organs live on in a transplant, which ironically was very similar to what Rusty Kealana had said to me later on when I was in Hawaii a, a month or two later working on another commercial project. Rusty was describing to me the ancient Hawaiian tradition of mana, right? And mana is the sacred energy that great men and women carry forth, especially when they're kanakas, like chiefs, like Sunny is a great Hawaiian kanaka. You know, he really is that person with that incredible sense of, of, uh, of his being in the world and his Hawaiian-ness, you know. And what Rusty told me was that in the ancient days, if a great warrior had fallen prey to whatever, a shark attack or a surfing accident, or even if he'd been, you know, bashed on the head by an opposing tribe. You know how those Hawaiian uh, have those jaw bones with sharp teeth that they fashion into lethal uh, weapons? Well, you know, if you could be the biggest Kanaka in the world, but if you got smacked in the head by that thing, the chances are you weren't going to survive. So what they would do is they would then if they were certain the great warrior was dying, 
they would remove his organs and eat them so that his mana was passed on from generation to generation. And so what Rusty thought, what my friend Dr. Rico had advocated, that you should let the guy just die in peace. And before um, analeptic shock sets in and the organs are destroyed and become useless for transplantation, you take out the organs because Sonny was in really good shape. He worked out a lot and he was very fit. So he's all, you know, his organs were in good enough shape that they could have lived on in someone else. And that's what Rusty Chialata thought should have happened as well, as did Rico. When I spoke to Kelly Slater about this at the Wave Ranch, and I mean, Kelly's known Sonny a lot longer than I have and a lot longer than most people. I think they've known each other since they were very, very young. Uh, probably like eight or nine years old when they were surfing in those USA, uh, you know, NSSA competitions. Kelly thought that Lori, the woman, was so hooked up in the worlds of high tech and being a Google exec and, you know, all cutting edge technologies and with her vast fortune that she would be able to work some magic and resuscitate Sonny. Um, my doctor friends were of the opinion that this was the most spurious enterprise you could do. And the only thing that could happen from that would be that his organs would be rendered um, useless and Sonny would essentially be a brain incapacitated vegetable for the rest of how long ever long she could keep him alive and she he said to me how much money does she have i said she has tens of millions apparently he said because it's going to cost like millions of dollars just to keep him sitting around vegetating you know by keeping so i think what's happened is parts of his body are active you know and or are activated i don't know by various um procedures like ventilators and stuff like that but I don't foresee the primary area of his brain, the cerebellum, which was the area that was starved of oxygen coming back to play. I mean, it's, I don't know there's any recorded medical history of this happening when you have like massive oxygen depletion. But I know for sure, one thing I know in my heart, knowing Sonny as well as I did, is he wants me to finish this film. He always wanted me to finish this film. Most of his anger against Dominique Purcell and me was because we hadn't finished the film because it was hard to get money to finish the film because Sonny had alienated a lot of people. But that's the story of the film. So hey, that's Michael, what I'm dealing with. Hey, Michael, how does, how does Sonny alienate people? Sorry, what are you mumbling? Or can you speak a little slower? Maybe I'm getting old and deaf. Maybe there's wax in my ears or salt, but speak right, a little deaf, motherfucker. How did Sonny alienate people? Well, have you ever met Sonny? I've stayed with him. Why not? As it happens. Right. So did you ever see him go off on anybody? Did he ever get angry? No, he was lovely. He bought me a toothbrush and all sorts of things. Oh, no, he's a lovely guy. He's one of the most gentle beautiful, lovely human beings that work this, walk this planet. But you don't want to get on the wrong side of them because, you know, when you he grew up in a very febrile universe, you know, things weren't, the consistencies of, uh, of his upbringing were not as, uh, as uh, um, consistent 
as they might, as one would have liked in order to have a, a have a, um, a psychological vocabulary that was able to deal with extremes. And so Sonny got himself into a lot of, you know, problems. You know, as, as I mean, I think there's something about old surfers. There's something, you know, hence... And so I whacked a fucking six foot three guy with the, with my green mamba Gunter Ram surfboard today. Surfers can be quick to uh, get angry. You know, it's it, surfing is a very intuitive and emotional sport, right? It's very much a sport that happens in milliseconds, right? Things can go right or they can go wrong very quickly, and. Um, one ex- expects exceeding sensitivity by everybody involved. When you're in the water, people are paddling in all different directions. And the guy who's got that wave lines up and goes. And those sensitive human beings who understand the mechanics of the ocean and the mechanics of the sport back off and they let the guy go. And you can be just about dropping it on the guy's head and you pull back. And everybody knows what's going on. Those are the ones who know what's going on. But in that moment, there is a lot of emotion because that wave is is just the most exciting thing in your life at that particular moment. It's like Martin Daly says in Sea of Darkness, like, you know, surfing is an addiction, like a sexual addiction. And you always want some more of it. You can never have enough. And uh, so I think that kind of personality that's driven by that kind of libidinous drive is... Uh, can be a person of emotional vicissitudes. And uh, Sonny definitely had his share of uh, vicissitudes. I'll say that. They, they were up and they were down and they were sideways. But when he was in good form, he was one of the most beautiful, generous, and lovely people that I ever met. And when he wasn't, I would steer clear of him because, you know, listen, I have a brother who's bipolar and who's spent most of his life in and out of institutions and he was a fantastic surfer growing up and actually I have some photos I should give you a photo of my brother back before his psychiatric breakdown surfing Jay Bay when he, back in the day in 1972 this guy was like a Michael Peterson he surfed so well he was skinny and long hair and handsome and then you know the bipolarity just hit him and look at Michael Peterson it's it's very prevalent in surfing you know we have that I think you know surfing's like rock and roll it appeals to larger-than-life, um, psychologically challenged individuals. <laughs> you know, but it's surfing. Listen, I don't think there's any surfer who's an advertisement for a mental health. Um, you know, for 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 for, for a sane mental health, right? Or a mental health ad, right? There's just something fucking kooky about surfers. Even even like when a guy like Kelly Slater, who's been such a lifelong proponent of of echo um, morality and and uh, green way of living, suddenly decides to excavate a massive part of the desert, you know, that's like been succumbing to a water shortage for like about a couple of decades. And, 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 build this like 50 million gallon wave pool in the middle of the whole thing. I mean, you know, it's, you know, it's like there will be blood, that great movie by Paul Thomas Anderson. 
you know, about the, the, the crazy eccentric um, oil perspective played by Daniel Day-Lewis. That's, that's Kelly and his wave pool. It's that kind of crazy, crazy, obsessive, compulsive desire just to do something that is extraordinary and big and, and exceptional. And it, it's, it's very much like Colonel Kurtz in um, Heart of Darkness. Obviously, those kind of larger-than-life, crazy-ass characters fascinate me, you know? I think Kelly's most fascinating thing is his, his obsession with the wave pool and getting it right and making it work. And truly, I don't know if you guys have actually seen the wave pool fire, but it's fucking awesome. I mean, I had come there from a month in J-Bay the first time I saw it, and it looked like fucking super tubes. I mean, it was dark green. There was an offshore. It had that greeny brown vibe that Super Tubes has at J Bay. It was hollow as fuck. I was, and it was much bigger than I thought it was, and powerful. It was a real wave. I was going, whoa! And nobody would let me go out there. I was very upset. <laughs> would you? Would you do a movie on Kelly Slater? Well, I don't think Kelly Slater would let me do a movie on him. He's way too protective. Can it be an unauthorized, unauthorized film? Well, no, no. Because, you know, I, I don't do movies that people don't pay for. I mean, you know, I, as I said before, I have a 911 GTS, you know. That's a very expensive uh, toy. And, you know, ex-wives and then, a, you know, my beautiful girlfriend who I live with. And, you know, we have a beautiful house and my son. And, you know, hopefully I'm going to have grandchildren soon. And there's a lot of, you know, people to pay for in my life. Uh, you know, brothers and institutions and you know my mom's 94 and she's still kicking it in sydney you know how expensive those places are in sydney for 94 year old moms not cheap uh, you know the i don't get that play you know somehow the the, the social welfare, the, me, the social welfare state of australia doesn't extend 100 percent to my mother for some reason i still have to pay my share so uh you know if someone was prepared to give you know put up a couple of million i'd do a i'd do an unauthorized movie in, on Kelly in a, in a heartbeat, but it was really difficult to get Kelly to participate in Sonny's documentary. I mean, here's a guy who's known Sonny since he was a kid, right? And has never, ever, even though Sonny, I mean, if I go through my texts and emails, we have asked Kelly so many times to do a Sonny interview for Sonny's movie. Sonny asked him. I mean, you must remember the version of Sonny's life that I'm doing is the one authorized by Sonny. This is the one. We have the deal. Me and Doug have the deal with Sonny to do his life story signed by Sonny. So that can't be obviated by some girlfriend who suddenly pitched up two years at the end of this guy's life and now thinks she controls his whole life because Sonny's parents have taken money from her or whatever the fuck happened. And she thinks she has the power of attorney, right? You don't have the power of attorney over the universe, madam, right? So that's just how it is. And Doug and I have the signed contract with Sonny Garcia to make his life story. So we have that. We're the authorized um, uh, um, uh, filmmakers entrusted with that story. And uh, those are the guys, you know, Kelly, you know, I get on very well with Kelly. I think he's smart and, and I like him and we have a fantastic Instagram relationship and he's cool. But, and, and he's, we have a really great scene with him at the Eddie where him and Sonny, it just, it's so natural where these two guys are just hanging out after having surfed like 
you know, 60 foot wire mirror and talking about their lives. And it's a really beautiful thing, but it's the only clip that I have of, of Kelly in the movie. And then I have Kelly surfing with Sonny, just the two of them doing an expression session at Halaiva once. That's really awesome. But what I don't have is that kind of classic Michael Oblivitz sit down interview with Kelly, like I have with Buttons, and I have with Marvin Foster, and I have with Bruce Irons, and I have with Sonny. I don't have that with Kelly Slater, which is strange because a lot of the movie is about um, Sonny and Kelly. The only I have I have Kelly talking about that. Um, uh, that Pipe Masters with Sonny, where Sonny was winning the world title and then he choked in his heat and and Kelly got that wave with uh, Rob Machado. And, and like Sonny says, won his world title by default. This is, this, is a, this is a quote from the movie. And Kelly, in a classic Kelly Slater moment, won his, won his world title by default. That's a quote from Sonny from the movie. So... Mm. Believe me, this movie's coming out with or without Kelly Slater, with or without the girlfriend who thinks she owns the, the residue of Sonny's life. It's coming out, and it's going to come out pretty soon. You know, I, really? I, I'm very. Oh yeah, no, no, we're we're. I, I'm very clear. It, it's it's. I, I, believe me, I would have done the final interviews if COVID hadn't prevented me from going back to Hawaii this summer. Right now, I mean, I know exactly what I need to map out to finish the movie. It won't be. The ult- I mean, I don't know how long medical science will keep Sonny breathing. And, hey, I would be the first one to be ecstatic about Sonny suddenly reappearing from this, his demise and, um, and from his uh, brain damage and, and, and saying, fuck you, Michael, I'm back. And this isn't the movie I wanted to see. I would be ecstatic to see Sonny stride the universe again like the Colossus that he is. But I'm not holding my breath. But I do know that the inventory of Sonny as a Colossus of surfing is contained in the movie that Sonny and I have worked on for 10 years. And I have 10 years of amazing on-camera interviews of Sonny talking about his life, talking about the high points, the low points, drug-taking back in the day, winning world titles, being adjudicated as a person of color in a, a, a world of, of blonde-haired, blue-eyed surfers. He really gets into it, you know, and he talks about that. And I think it's very timeless. In the, in, in the world of Black Lives Matter, you've got Sonny five years ago doing an interview with me about being a person of color and feeling discriminated against and how uh, Muhammad Ali was his idol because as a kid of color growing up uh, as an athlete he was he was uh, a morale booster frankly for for Sonny and 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 the beacon the guiding light so all of that nothing changes that story and that's the story of the movie so it's coming out you know it's just coming out soon (laughs) I I just got to get back to why I have a couple more interviews I spoke to the guys that I wanted to speak to I have a very clear understanding of, of the last few days of Sonny's life and what happened, and that's what happened. So who are you going to speak to in Hawaii? Not telling. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, you know, it's like I don't give away the whole movie. 
But there's a lot of good friends. I give it away a lot of it. I've, I've spoken about it because I think it, it deserves to be spoken about. Sunny Garcia should always be spoken about in the context of surfing, especially when you're dealing with such a milk toast universe of surfing. I mean, fuck, wouldn't you just like fucking Sonny to rise from whatever coma he is in and just paddle out and slap some motherfucker in the head and dropped in on him? Ooh. You know the way he did to Neko Paderitz at Pipeline? Dude, Come he ripped on, his we earring see? out. Huh? He ripped his earring out, didn't he? Well, who the fuck wears an earring when they go surfing anyway? Neko. It was his look. It was his, it was his bling. Yeah, but he still dropped in on Sonny. I, I wouldn't be wearing it. You know, it's like the guy today dropped in on me. Don't wear earrings. Don't wear panties. When you drop, you know, don't wear like you know, you know, silk stockings, high-heeled shoes. Don't wear any of that Michael, he sounds huh? sound terribly transphobic. No, 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 no. I'm not transphobic no, at all. I'm just saying, when you, wear that, when you wear that stuff surfing and... You, look, you don't see girls, surfers, going out all decked out in, in you know, in, in all their jewelry. You know what I mean? Everybody's, you got to understand, like, it's, surfing is not a place for jewelry, dude. It's not a place for, it's, surfing is a place for surfing. And, I wore uh, an inappropriately colored wetsuit today. You wear an inappropriate wetsuit? You wore a pink one, right? Uh, it was, it was uh, half one side fluorescent orange, one side fluorescent yellow, and then the rest kind of an, a khaki, a car key for the Australian listener. <laughs> yeah, but that khaki is good. I think that's good. I mean, you see, again, you weren't wearing jewelry. Pete, I never saw Peter Schroff wear jewelry when he surfed, ever. I have a Peter Schroff wears a dangly earring these days. I don't think Peter Schroff is even sexually confused, though, according to Peter I Schroff. Think, I, I don't know where Kelly Slater gets that Peter Schroff is, ke- is sexually confused. I think Peter Schroff, Peter Schroff has been having a fantastic sex life for probably most of his life along with a fantastic creative life. And Peter Schroff does not need Kelly Slater to adjudicate his um, creative output or his sexuality or his um, gender choices in any way, shape, or form, right? Or, or, or his uh, narcotic uh, indulgences. I mean, Peter Schroff is a bona fide, serious artist in his own right, and I am very, very happy that the spotlight was shone on him by Beach Grit. In, you know, he's such a worthwhile person in the sport. And uh, his boards are great, dude. I've always wanted one. I, I don't have one, but I've always wanted one. I'd love to get a, um, an 80s Shroff board. They are real works of art. The same way as you look at a 70s or 80s Jeff Ho. And those boards transcend the actual... Uh, surfing instrument they're just visually stunning i mean jeff ho's airbrush graffiti that he would do on the board with that insignia right it's just so visual i mean you know just i mean peter schroff and jeff ho are two of the great surfing artists as far as i'm concerned you know not this kind of kitschy shit that you see where people you know like you see it all over the fucking instagram where people paint you know, pictures of waves or whatever they do in oil paint, you know, and then do the namaste yoga, you know, things and like, like, like crystals 
and, and floating in the middle of the ocean with kind of pseudo acid trip, you know, they, they need to go take another look at, at Rick Griffin and, 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 and Shroff and, um, and Jeff Ho do none of that shit. They're like, you know, cutting edge art, like really, you know, really great artists. So, so I think we need to, to respect them a little bit more and, 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 and not make comments about sexuality in their respect. So I'm, I'm, I'm really not transphobic at all in any way, shape or form, you know? The I'm, merely, I'm merely referring to... Hold on, I'm just merely referring... Home director and transphobic surfer, Michael Oblovitz on Dirty Water, episode 31. What did you say, Michael Oblovitz, non-transphobic surfer? Most terribly transphobic, ripping in on mags, likes to wear some pretty panties. Hold on, Derek. I think that this particular guy who invaded my surfing space in his, you know, nice latex wetsuit, I was paying him a compliment about wearing pr pretty panties. I, I was telling him I was not averse to what was probably his ultimate sexual choice. I'm not averse to it. I admit to my bisexuality. I'm like right, very, trans, we'll move past the transphobia. And let's talk about quickly the roll call of dead people in the um, sunny. All right, before the, I want to make something clear. How can you call me a bisexual surfer transphobic? Are you bisexual? I didn't know that. This is new news. What's well, the well, I, mean, I feel. Let me. Let me. I feel. I feel a love for man. Hold on. Let me put it. I feel a love for all mankind. I love men, I love women. I don't feel there's a gender exclusivity that I should, that I should um, ascribe to. That doesn't so mean- you up in, fucking, in, your, in your fancy talk? What's it like to well, say- you know, Let's be clear. I, 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 listen, I, I, nobody's wanted to have sex with me for about a decade now. You know, well, you know I'm, I'm sort of past uh, the, the used by date. So it's not like you can really look at Michael Albert and go, now there's a sexy bisexual guy that men and women want to fuck, you know, like that's the Mick Jagger of surfing. No, that would be like Reno Abalera. Even Reno Abalera at 68 or 70 is like handsome, sexy as fuck guy, you know. I mean, you look at Reno and he's fit and he's got huge big brown nipples and all of that stuff. He's like they're, a, they're pierced though. That always put oh, me off about Reno. All right, let me retract the jewelry thing. Reno Abalera can wear any jewelry he wants because that guy surfs. One of the, 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 the there are few surfing uh, um, artists. When Reno Abalera is on a surfboard, everybody should shut up and watch because he is one of the greatest, most beautiful, stylish surfers that have ever existed. You know, he wants. In fact, he says in the Sunny Garcia movie in an interview, he says surfing is hula. Right, and he makes this comparison between hula dancing and surfing, and Sunny as being one of those great warrior Kanaka chiefs who come from that tradition where surfing and hula and Hawaiian indigenous culture all blend together. And Hawaiian culture itself was very gender non-specific. You know, all of those, um, all of those um, Polynesian cultures. Uh, you know, um, had uh, venerated transvestism and cross-dressing and all of these things. I mean, you've have you ever been 
in Chopu to that, uh, in, in Tahiti, in Papayete, to that fish market where all these huge, big, broady men every Sunday dress up as women with wigs and lipstick. Have you been there? I haven't been there, Derek. Yeah, but well, yeah, but I should mention that. <laughs> Have you been there, Derek? I think the hottest women in Tahiti are actually the dudes. Sorry, again, you're mumbling. What did you say in Tahiti? Michael, I said the hottest women in Tahiti are the men. Exactly. I mean, Femme Nui. You remember the club, Femme Nui in, uh, in, in, yes. in Honolulu? Right. Yeah, you, there's a strong... What fucking language are you speaking, man? Jesus Christ. I'm going to put some lights on me. How's my lighting? Can you see anything? It's pretty ordinary. It went dark. I'm reeling from your love to suck cock comment from before. No, I didn't say I love to suck cock. You love to suck cock, effectively. No, no, I said I would love to... I love that... No, no, no. Look that thing. Derek. Derek, you're a powerful journalist. You cannot misquote me. On the record, I didn't say I love to suck cock. I said I love to have my cock sucked. And I was very open to this guy who was trying to get physical with me. You know, I don't listen. You remember D.H. Lawrence, um, Woman in Love? Remember how, how, how that great wrestling scene with um, who was those, those two great actors, those burly actors? Fuck, their names jump out of my head at the moment. But there's a great wrestling scene where these two men are, are fighting and pounding on each other. And then at some point it turns into uh, a kind of sexual relationship. Is I think all, any, man, really any man who offers to beat me up in the water, who's six foot three and big and brawny, is definitely expressing some kind of sublimated sexual desire. So I said to him, you know, if he's feeling that strongly physically about me, Maybe he'd like to provide me with a delight that I haven't experienced in the last 10 or 15 years because people don't find me very, dare I say, physically attractive. I mean, you've seen me, Derek, Derek, you've seen me on the beach at Bondi in the middle of winter in my wetsuit with my green mamba surfboard. I mean, did you find me sexually attractive? No, I didn't, Michael. See, there you go. That's just, and, and I appreciate your. I found, your I found, I found you quite likable, but a bit of quite a chatterbox. I'm a chatterbox, but not, I do not relish the idea of, um, of, of having, you know, oral sex with another man or for anybody at this point. I mean, my mouth, my mouth purely operates. As, a, as an expression of the, of the verbal train of thought that's racing through it. So, so what can I tell you? Trans, transphobic filmmaker Michael Lobelovitz. So after the... No, no, uh, no, 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 no. no. So you say Michael, <laughs> Michael, I want to get this on record. Michael Lobelovitz... Transphobic film director. purely linguistic. At this point, he has been deprived of cunny lingus for so long that his only understanding of sex is linguistic. So you can call that transphobic if you want, but I just call it linguistic. You know, I'm just, I'm locked. I'm surprised you don't wear in, the MAGA hat. I'm, right? locked, I'm locked in by language, right? I'm, I'm traumatized by your nasty talk. <laughs> Traumatizing the fucking I, I traumatize other, others by nasty talk. Let's see how much trauma this fucking podcast is going to evince. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Michael, we can't, we, we can't, as beautiful as you are, we can't talk forever, but um, just quickly, because you are the, um, the auteur behind two of the greatest surf documentaries the world has never seen, which is the first one, <laughs> Sonny, um, Sonny Garcia, Death and Taxes, and also Sea of Darkness, the great drug-dealing, drug-smuggling surf movie that you made, I guess, about, what, 13 years ago now? 
I don't think it was about 10 well, or 12. We'll I don't know. That in, uh, um, longer than that. 15 years? I think 2008, 2009, because it came out in 2009 or 10, right? I don't know. I, Chad, when were, Chaz, when were, in, were we in Hawaii? When we were in that we little... Were, it was like 2010. 10. So I think I finished in 2009. So I started in about 2007, right? 2006, seven, yeah. Long time ago. It was a long time ago. And what, uh, what kind of anyone see it? Sorry? What kind of anyone see Sea of Darkness unless you kind of fish around on Reddit or something? Because Martin Daly won't let me release it. It's simple as that. You know, I would I've, I've had, roses. I, I don't know. I've had so many um, distributors who want to distribute that this film from the day that I release it till right now. I could go to um, the same company that distributed uh, Heavy Water, right? 1019, which is one of the best distributed distribution companies in uh, in LA. And I'm sure because they that we that we discussed distributing Sea of Darkness two years ago. I'm sure I could get a distribution deal with it tomorrow, right? But Martin absolutely refuses to let it out. He has some notion of it being re-edited in, I don't know. I mean, I didn't know Martin was this extraordinary filmmaker. Um, maybe I'm wrong and he should re-edit the movie the way he sees it fits. But, but you could take you know, out the kid about the Silver Crossing, though. that kind of fucked it at the end, huh? Well, that's kind of, I guess, what the movie would you know, be about if it was re-edited by other people. Um, I like the fact that it went into the Quicksilver Crossing because we see that the uh, that the, um, um, the 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 lodestone, the root of contemporary surfing, is very much comes from a, a, a more uh, subversive and rebellious and uh, underground roots. You know that may well have had uh, a lot of illegal drug smuggling and money in its, at its core. I mean, dude, how else do you fucking finance an, a hedonistic activity like, like, like riding waves on desert islands in, uh, in 1969, 70, 71? What, how, else, how else do guys, you know, quit everything and end up, you know, surviving on the North Shore of Oahu without even a cell phone back then? I mean, they, this is what happened. What are we going to, we're going to suddenly claim we're, you know, we're holier than thou, that, that, that uh, we're, we're going to, you know, be like Donald Trump and continually revise history and call it fake news. Fuck that shit. I'm here to tell the truth, you know, and I'm not transphobic. It's so transphobic. <laughs> That's why he's sitting in the car in a dark parking lot. He's going to fuck a tranny and then you get beat her up. This kind Dude, of if life. I fuck a tranny, which I should be so lucky. I, I don't know one. I don't know one tranny in LA that's gonna fuck me at this point in time. But if I got lucky with a hot tranny and fucked her, I would never beat her up, dude. Because well, he'd be so exhausted because he's so chubby. <laughs> dude, I would just be. I don't even know if I. You know, look, I can barely paddle into a wave and stand up. How the fuck am I gonna fuck someone, dude? Who knows if that thing works anymore? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Well, that's a sad, sad, sad story. Why don't you go have and see Dude, I mean, party? come on. G Derek, I'm 20 years up. older than you. I'm 20 years older than you, and I spent the weekend paddling um, up at Big Sur with my son, dude. So let me tell you, that was that, that was harsher than fucking any tranny, dude. It was like two hours 
to try and paddle out through that fucking maelstrom. By, by the way, there are plenty of great waves in California once you head up the central coast north, dude. I, I, I the one, what, what has been the most exciting aspect of COVID and the pandemic for me has been exploring um, central and northern California's coastline with my son. I mean, we have fucking scored waves this summer. I had no idea that you could get like 10-foot fucking serious 10-foot sets in uh, California in the middle of summer when it was like two feet in uh, in uh, Malibu and like 10 feet up north and just firing and like two guys in the water. It was extraordinary. I've, I've, I've really had a good pandemic. And how has your pandemic been going, by the way? Mine's been going pretty fantastic down here but also also i've done mexico i've uh i've taken mexico on as part of my pandemic okay yeah, well, that's what we, did with northern, we did with northern california uh, we didn't we didn't you know try mexico because i didn't know what the border crossing situation was going to be with all the um you know the the you know the, the 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 restrictions on americans traveling isn't this ironic here's mr donald trump who who, who wanted to ban the rest of the world from coming into America. Now nobody wants America to travel anywhere because they have the highest incidence of COVID in the world. How That's ironic. Real backfire. Okay, last question here, Michael Oblovitz. Uh, yes. Favorite, favorite person to interview in your career? Shoot, I, w- I will say this. The favorite person that I haven't interviewed might be Peter Shroff. I'm so turned on by Peter Shroff. I've known Peter, you know, but I've never interviewed him. But I was so turned on by Peter Schroff, by uh, the work you guys did at Beach Grit. It was one of the high points of, of and there be many. I love Beach Grit. You guys are super supportive and you're the smartest guys in surf journalism. But I really, really love the work you did with Peter Schroff. Um, I don't know. That's a tough question, because eh? I've really gotten to, you know, just in surf, in the surf world. I mean, Ricky Grigg was really someone remarkable because... He had played such a uh, influential role in my life growing up. You know, there was that, the, you know, there are a couple of people that, are, that were totally iconic, like the, the, the photo of Rusty Miller surfing Sunset Beach and Mickey Dora paddling up and then Ricky Grigg and Jose Angel at Waimea Bay, Peter Cole. So interviewing those guys while they're still on this planet or some of them have left this planet, has been extraordinary. And this is something you just, I want to just, you, you said earlier, Derek, um, the amount of people who died in the Sunny movie is extraordinary. From Ricky Grigg to Buttons to Marvin Foster to Andy Irons to Jay Adams to Brock Little and to Sonny himself in some way, shape or form uh, to his friend Ox. Dude, I just kind of list, I mean, that's like really... You know, like eight or nine of the of of, of the um, most important interviews in Sonny's movie are all people who've passed away. So, is the movie cursed? Is there the curse of the Sonny movie? I don't know. I drive carefully. I'm very vigilant when I go in big waves, and I try not to get into fights with six foot three inch kooks on soft tops, um, dressed in full rubber. On, on, on a 103 degree day at uh, at 
Topanga. But, you know, it's risk versus reward in this business. And so sometimes we have to take risks. Uh, Michael, thank you so much. There you go, Chaz. We will right, see you. I'll see you soon. Yeah, come up here. Let's do a session. I mean, Topanga's going to fire again tomorrow, dude. Come okay. out. Let's see, who's, let's see whose panties we can rip off. <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> Call me. I'm, I'm going to be surfing here tomorrow. Thanks, guys. It was fun it's as always. You know? yeah. Much love. Yeah. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.